This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 223 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, Jason's speaking with Zach Homuth, one of the three founders of Upverter, a website for designing, simulating, and manufacturing circuit boards. So Zach, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, you know, we haven't done an interview in a while. We've been really lazy for some reason. Mostly it's probably my fault since I'm the one in charge of uh, scheduling interviews. But I've been wanting to interview you guys for a long time because I've I stumbled across Upverter because I've become more interested in electronics lately and, and, and uh, this whole thing that you're doing with the um, ability to design circuits in the cloud seem really cool. So why don't you start off by just telling us what Upverter is? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so what we're what we're trying to do at Upverter is uh, is build tools to design hardware um, and make them collaborative. Kind of a, I guess, a GitHub for hardware would be a good way to do, you know explain it. Um, but it's yeah. So it's it's you know schematic capture, PCB layout, simulation, manufacturing, all that kind of stuff in your web browser. Um, yeah, and it's you know, and it's 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 still early days for us. Uh, we're you know we're two years old, but it, you know the tools the tools are getting there. You can actually design. You know, some simple electronics nowadays. Okay, so you said you went through that pretty quickly. So, for the non-electrical engineers who are listeners, which just means probably just about everybody. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. So are those simulation? I mean, you went through like five things. What are those things? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so when you're when you're designing a piece of hardware, um, normally you start with some kind of a functional model of what the hardware is going to do. There, you know, you. There, there's probably power, there's probably some chips that do processing, there's maybe some communication, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and so you'll do a functional model where, where you'll, you'll connect all those together, and that's called a schematic. Um, and it's, it's no different than, than any other schematic in, in electrical land. It's, it's just which chips are connected to which. Um, and so that was actually the first product we started with uh, way, way back, um, was a schematic capture tool. And uh, and then kind of next in the line is uh, is layout, and and you take that schematic and you lay it out in space in in two D space, um, and then when you get something manufactured, that's the files that the manufacturer uses to actually take your you know your functional model of of what you want and turn it into a real thing, and and so so that was actually what we just released a couple months ago. Um, simulation is is it's how you pretend a circuit is actually real and in the real world and, and it's a way to test it and and see if it's going to do the things you want it to do in the real world when it gets manufactured it's normally it's a way of saving money on manufacturing as you try and simulate a couple of times and see if it's going to do what you expect it to do before you actually build the real thing and spend a bunch of money um, and, and those are the those are the three really big pieces of upverter so there's kind of a you know a way to do functional design a way to test that functional design and a way to actually turn that functional design into a real thing Okay, okay, so um, the the schematic capture is almost kind of like an AutoCAD or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yep. Right, you, you, you kind of draw your, since this is my resistor and my diode and my microprocessor or whatever, and I hook them all together. Now, the, the simulation you run, that's almost like running a, a program, 
right? Yeah. So let's see what it does. Um, that seems really, that would seem to be really hard uh, to, to see <laughs> accurately. Is, is that right? Or is it just because I don't understand this stuff very well? No, no, like it, it is, it is. The, the hard part is that you're, you're doing stuff at, you know, at, at very, very, very small scale. Like you're talking about electrons moving around inside silicon. Um, and, and the hard part is coming up with the models for the way the electrons are actually supposed to behave. We, uh, we cheat though a lot actually in our simulation. We're, we're based on top of some work that Berkeley did uh, back in the 70s and the 80s, they built a simulator. It was like kind of the first of its kind. It was called Spice. Um, and, and our simulator is actually based on the open source uh, version of, of, of that piece of software. Um, and we've done some stuff to, to make it run in the cloud and to make it simulate the type of stuff that we do. But um, we try to stay away from the really hard math as much <laughs> as, much as we can. Because um, you're right, it, it, it is a hard problem. Yeah, that would sound like it would be full of all kind of crazy differential equations and and things, and I, I can't imagine that a small startup would want to take that on. Into in addition to building the actual infrastructure surrounding it. Yeah, um, yeah, like it'd be huge, huge liability for a startup to to try and build a better simulator. So you know, we're not trying to build a better simulator; we're just trying to put it in a better place. <laughs> right. So it's a little more than GitHub because GitHub, you don't write your code and simulate that would be like putting together eclipse <laughs> with your runtime environment exactly exactly yeah so so the way yeah so normally you know normally whenever i'm talking to people about up for I'll, I'll i'll you know i'll start with something like it's github for hardware and then they'll say wait whoa, 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 no it, like that doesn't make sense and they'll say well yeah actually it's um <laughs> it's it's like vim or eclipse or you know emacs or whatever text editor you use um it's git to actually do the source control. It's GitHub to take that source control and put it on the internet. Um, and then it's like your unit test suite too, right? It's like nose or, you know, or, or um, Q unit or whatever unit test suite you use. So it's kind of all of those in the same spot and for our plus, hardware. It plus it's uh, you combine it with like deployment or, uh, you know, almost by building yeah. the, well, it's your deployment with Heroku or Rackspace or something, There's right? A, right. Exactly. There's like a an AWS Heroku, whatever you want to call that. Uh, yeah, to actually get the the you know the real thing in the real world manufactured. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad you didn't take on anything too large. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so so you got conservative in Canada, right? You don't like to bite off more than you can chew. Right. Yes. No. Exactly. So <laughs> the joke. Um, the joke that we've kind of been making about Upverger and about us and about the company ever since we, you know, ever since we started it was was the the next startup we do. We're we're only going to try and do one new thing, because uh, <laughs> because like we must have six or seven uh, <laughs> that we're one, trying to do right seven. now. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, I so I think I think our our listeners should have a pretty good understanding of what Upverger is. Um, could you maybe tell, take us through the backstory of how you came up with the idea and how you, you know, your you and your uh, co-founders came together and how you got started? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so um, my two co-founders are, are Mike and Steve, and uh, and and the three of us met at the University of Waterloo uh, studying computer and electrical engineering about eight years ago. Um, we lived in the same dorm room. We, you know, we went to the same classes. We, uh, eventually we, we had to move out of residence and we got a house together and like, you know, so we, you know, we kind of, kind of became buddies and, and went through school together and failed out together and, you know, that whole thing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 
uh, we all kind of, a couple years later, uh, we all went our separate ways. Um, I ended up at a, a networking hardware company building uh, a deep packet inspection devices, uh, these big kind of quarter million dollar network appliances. Um, Mikey ended up at uh, IDT down in San Jose, and he was doing uh, PCI Express and silicon and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stevie was doing OLED stuff at Kodak. And, and so, you know, we all kind of had this hardware meets software thing, uh, did that for a couple of years, kind of, you know, we're apart and, you know, and, and being real people getting paychecks and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And, uh, um, about three years ago, uh, we got back together, um, decided we were, you know, we were going to do a startup and, and it was a space that we were excited about. We, we had done software, we had done hardware, we hated hardware because it was so hard. And, you know, we kind of loved how easy it was to innovate on top of software, right? And, and, and that, was, that was the kernel. That was kind of the nugget that we started with was how do we, I don't know, how do, how do we do any of this, this kind of nice innovation that, that Git and GitHub and, you know, distributed version control and all of that stuff. How do you do any of that for hardware? How do you make it easier for people to manufacture? You know, all that kind of stuff. So how did you come up with the germ of the idea? Uh, I mean, what, what, what were you doing? Were you like, you know, sitting around a cafe and you guys were like, we want talking about how you wanted to start a company or were you building something and being frustrated and like, this is so stupid. And you caught up when you were found, you know, your eventual co-founder and say, Hey, what if we built something to do this? I mean, how did, how did that whole yeah. process yeah. go? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, so in, so in the, so we started up Verger in the summer, it, it actually like came to be a real thing in August of 2010, um, but for the couple months before that, like we, you know, we, we, we were a little bit nervous to leave our real jobs, to be honest. Um, we, and so we spent a couple of months just kind of talking it over and we had whiteboards full of ideas and we, you know, we messaged each other back and forth. And it was kind of like, well, you know, I like this problem in this space and that kind of stuff. And we were, you know, and, and it was, it was really just this ideation and refinement and trying to take the problems that we were passionate about and, and figure out, you know, actually how to fix any of that. So, so and I actually, I actually remember, um, uh, the idea for Upford, I, I, I remember it quite, quite vividly, actually. I, I was, uh, so I, I was, I was in bed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where um, most great ideas come from. Okay. You're lying in bed, staring at the ceiling. <laughs> I, I was lying in bed, staring at the ceiling and, uh, and, and Steve was in San Francisco and Mike was in Toronto and, and I was in Waterloo. Um, and I kind of had this, yeah, and and and, it, and and I don't even really know how to explain it, but but I had been fighting through. I had been fighting through some of these problems at work. I was, you know, I was using other people's CAD software, other people's hardware design software, and I was fighting through these problems at work. And and you know, we were trying to figure out how to make this market better. And it, you know, in hindsight, it kind of like looks ridiculous, right? Like the problem was right there, smacking me in the face and telling me that you know, fix me. Um, <laughs> right. right. I can remember I can remember lying there staring at the ceiling and just having this kind of wait a second could we take any of this stuff and just put it in the web browser and that was it it was like can we take it and the workflow and 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 any of it like and put it in the web browser and then the rest of it just kind of cascaded out of that right it's like well wait you could do version control then you could do collaboration then you could do this you could do this and then we had a list of like 400 things that we wanted to fix and <laughs> right. And we had to pare that back down, and and we we maybe didn't do a very good job. We 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 still ended up trying to do too much, I think. But uh, but yeah, no. So so like, and and that was it. And and I, I kind of frantically, it was, I don't know, it was the middle of the night or the middle of the morning. I'm 
I'm not sure which, but, and I, and I called, and I called everybody, right. It was like big conference call kind of thing. And it was like, you know, and I was super excited and, and, and it, t- it took a couple of days for everybody else to realize that that was kind of what we were meant. And <laughs> what was their initial reaction? Were they like, are you on crack? Like, this is way too hard. Or what were they thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a, like, you realize how big that is, Zach. Like, like, are you, you know, like, are you nuts? This is going to take us like seven years just to like, just to hit minimum viable <laughs> on any of this. And so, you know, and that was when the list started getting shorter, but, but yeah, no, like, and that was, yeah. So like they thought, they thought I was totally on crack. It was, <laughs> um, but it was, we kind of kept circling back to it. It kind of, you know, so there was, you know, there was a couple of weeks there where, where I was sold and I mean, you know, like it was the thing that like, this was what I was doing. Um, <laughs> so you're just going to wait for them to figure out that it was a great idea too. It's like, you were going to humor them as they, as they work through other things. There was a little bit of that, like, and it wasn't, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't that I, you know, I was, I was, you know, I, I, I was kind of hoping we'd find an easier problem to solve or, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, or a more exciting market too. Like we, we love our market and we love making it better, but it, it it's a pretty dry and, you know, neck beard and kind of old engineers market. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said for the flashy consumer market, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. And, and so it took a couple of weeks, but they came around and, and, you know, and then so that took us from, I don't know, May or June or whenever we first had those conversations to August when we actually kicked the whole thing off. It, let me just, I want to backtrack on one thing uh, before we go on. See, so you guys had come together and decided you want to start a company without a problem. So were you guys just in, in, in communication because you were all a little bit dissatisfied with working in the corporate environment and, and you thought, you had the idea. You knew these other guys were smart, and you liked them, and you thought it'd be funny to accompany with them. I mean, what brought you guys together and started those conversations? Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, like, and, and you're 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 mostly right with, with all that. It was it was less that we didn't have a problem, and and more that we had like way too many. Um, <laughs> and it was like we had lists and lists and lists, but like there wasn't one that like really, really, really we knew. Um, from day one that that was going to be the thing. Um, you know, and so we had some markets we were interested in, some problems we were interested in, but, but like we, we weren't, you know, like we, we didn't have like the one, but, but you're right. It was, you know, it was that, it was that we all knew each other and it was, um, and it was when we were living together in university, actually, uh, you know, we, we, we were close followers of Paul Graham and Y Combinator. We, you know, we were, we were pretty plugged into that scene and we, um, it's my third company. Upverter is my third company. I'd, I'd done two more before, and, and the plan was always to do, you know, a third one eventually. And Mike and Steve had always had a big passion for starting a company, and so like, I guess it, in a lot of ways, it was kind of inevitable that we were going to do it together. Um, it was it was more that we needed to push off the cliff and 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 kind of coming down from thousands and thousands of problems that we could solve to like one that that we totally understood why it mattered and why it needed to be solved. And it, you know, and we were the right people to solve it too. Right. Like, right. Right. So it's, it's, it's sort of changing from, from the, from the, is narrowing it down from the problems that you could solve to the problem that you should solve. Yeah. 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 Like what, what's the one that like you were destined to solve. And like, and we didn't realize <laughs> that, you know, and it, it sounds a little hokey, but it's like, but it, you know, like we, we were guys that, that knew software inside and out and, and knew hardware inside and out. And we were kind of like on that line and, and it was just like the right thing for us to do for that reason. Like if we were off building some social coupon sharing thing, like, you know, none of, none of what we had done up until that point really, you know, would have made sense. Um, right. like it just fits. It just like, and, and that was kind of what pushed us over the edge. But, uh, yeah. So like if, you know, if you're, 
if you've got a head full of ideas and a bunch of people you want to start a company with, like my, my, my total advice on that is, you know, is to, to stand back and like say, you know, when I'm telling people about this six months from now, like which one of these are they going to say, yeah, obviously that's what you're working on. Like what's <laughs> where people are going to go, uh, duh, but like that's, you know, and, that, and that's kind of the moment that we had. That's interesting. Well, I'm going to just ask you a little bit about your, your background because you said this was your third company. I mean, what were your other, how, how did your entrepreneurial, or where did your entrepreneurial adventures start? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, well, like, so um, there, there was kind of a fine line between um, entrepreneurship uh, as a kid and my first company. Um, so my first company was when I was uh, 15, 16. I, uh, I dropped out of high school. Um, and, and actually, uh, kind of a funny story, but my mom uh, was the principal <laughs> of uh-huh. the high school I dropped out of. <laughs> yeah, that, that went over well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not really. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, um, but my, my dad, um, my dad, and I have to thank him for this. My dad, my dad, I think kind of jumped on that grenade and, and, and it was okay. And it happened. Um, but, yeah, I'd, uh, say, I'd say that jumping on a grenade probably would have been less damaging than what he probably had to do. Yeah, actually you could be right about that. Um, <laughs> I can't even imagine <laughs> your mom, the principal. What was her? Wow. I mean, what was that conversation like when you told her? Uh, it was, well, so, so it, you know, it, it was slow, right? It, it, it came in waves. It was kind of a, you know, I, I, I was bored and I, you know, I wasn't getting what I wanted out of high school. And I kind of went to my dad and said, Hey, you know, I think I want to start this business. And the plan was never to drop out of high school at that point. Right. It was to like start a business and have something fun to do and, you know, maybe skip school some of the time. But like, you know, that was it. Right. It was kind of like, I want to make money. I want to make more than I would make flipping hamburgers. And here's this thing I'm passionate about. And, and that, and like, and then it grew, right. It grew and it grew and it grew and I grew it to like 10 employees and we were grossing a few hundred thousand dollars. And like, it was like a legitimate business. And then it was kind of like, well, you know, I don't, I don't need school. <laughs> what kind of business were you starting? What, I mean, as a, you said you were 15 or 16, how old were you? Yeah, I, I, I think I was, it was like right around my 16th birthday. I'm, I'm not sure whether it was before or after, but it was like, so I like, let's say I was 16. Right. Uh, Is that like your, you had. What, two years left of school or something? Yeah, I would have been, where was I? I was in 11th grade, 10th grade, 10th or 11th grade. Um, and then I ended up dropping out and uh, not completing my 12th grade. So, like, I, I, I muscled through, yeah, so I would have been in 10th grade. I muscled through grade 11, and then I, and then I didn't go back for grade 12. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and that was, yeah, so that, that was kind of where it started. Um, and... And, and it, you know, yeah, it was, it was a little weird when the conversation finally came up with mom and, you know, sitting down with mom and dad and saying, look, I don't, I don't want to go back to high school. I want to do this other thing. Um, but, uh, but we were, uh, um, we were kind of a, a, a do anything with computers shop. So we, you know, we'd fix them, we'd sell them, we'd read software for them. We built websites. We, you know, it was kind of jack of all trades computers. I, I, uh, I grew up in a small farm town in Southwestern area. And, uh, there were a lot of these big grain companies there and, and nobody to like fix their computer system. So I was like the head of it at 16, uh, <laughs> right. these multi-million dollar companies as like a consultant, um, you know, getting paid way more money than a 16 year old should ever get paid. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was kind of where that, that was kind of where it started. So that was my very first, uh, business. Okay. So how did that come to an end and how did you get into university? Yeah. So, so, um, after I think it was about three years of doing that, um, I decided that, you know, it, 
I decided that I'd kind of plateaued. Like that there was there was like there was a good linear growth. You know, we were gonna make money. I would have, you know, I would have had a few hundred thousand dollars a year for the rest of my life. And you know, it would have been it would have been a business, but it never would have been more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I had this kind of romantic association with, you know, university and higher education and 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 the things that other people got to do. And I and I thought that I had to go to university to get to do those things. And you know, I later realized that that wasn't the case, but that was what I thought at the time. Um, and so I shut the business down. I folded it. Um, I, I, I gave away my, uh, um, I gave away my contact list and, um, and, and I sorted everything out with the people I had done work, work for. Um, it took a, you know, it took a six months to shut it down and, and find everybody new jobs and all that. Um, and then I, I got my, uh, I got my high school diploma and, and I went to the university of Waterloo and that was how I got there. Um, and, and so I, I had to do, um, you know, I had to do my courses and, and, and get out of, you uni- uh, get out of high school. Um, but so I, you know, that took me, you know, it took me a year. Um, Wait, but you do that like at night, like some kind of like the, well, in the U S they call it like you take your GED so that you go to courses, then you take like an equivalency test. I mean, do they have something like that in Canada or what did you do? So they, you know, they do have something like that. It's normally for adult learners. I was still, I was still a child, so it was less complicated for me, um, to, mm-hmm. to pick up and, and do it. So like I did some online courses. I, I had some credits. Um, you know, I, prior to dropping out of school, I had, I had done a lot of extra credit work. And so some of that counted and, and, and it was just, it was kind of a, we patched it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it helped that I knew everybody, mom knew everybody and like, and that, that, and so, uh, mom and I went to university of Waterloo actually on a scholarship. Um, and, wow. uh, yeah, and, and and that was where I met Steve and Mike, um, and actually, I guess I guess kind of a trend. But a couple of years later, I dropped out of <laughs> the University of Waterloo <laughs> to start my second business. Um, <laughs> what was that business? Uh, so so that business was we we were trying to middle on uh, the manufacture of electronics. We were trying to make it easier to get things manufactured, and it was my first real kind of product service business. Um, but I could never get the margins right. It was you know, like a it, it, it just wasn't a profitable business by design, um, and it didn't live very long. It only lived for a couple of months before I went and got a real job. Um, okay. But yeah, and and you never went back and finished your your university degree. Yeah, correct. I I, I have uh, two of or two and a half of five years of of an engineering degree at the University of Waterloo. And did your uh, did your eventual founders finish up, or did they drop out as well? Uh, they they both, and and this is kind of a make fun of them for, um, but, uh, um, one of them needs to, to complete a professionalism course, um, <laughs> get hit. Um, and, and the other one just needs to, uh, needs like a psychology course or something like that. Anyways. Yeah. So they're, they're both kind of like a course away and it's like, you know, it, it's the, the goofy courses, right? It's the courses that don't really matter. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they're very close and they will probably finish, but they, um, they're a little busy right now. <laughs> okay, so why don't we jump back into the story of Upverter? So you, you guys, um, you 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 gave them your great idea. They took a couple weeks to sort of digest it and realize that that was what they were going to be doing, <laughs> and you eventually decided to get started. So why don't you take us through how um, you got an MVP out there? I mean, what was what was the process like? Uh, yeah, uh, like the the sh- the short answer is it was gruesome, but uh, <laughs> we uh, so anyways we 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 all kind of decided this was what we were going to do, and then we went and quit our jobs, 
um, and sold all of our worldly possessions. And we actually all moved um, into my parents' basement. Uh, yeah, which is, which is again, out, out in the country in Southwest. Which is a startup hub, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we moved into mom and dad's place and, you know, and, and my parents were wonderful about the whole thing and, you know, and they fed us and, and, you know, made sure we had clean clothes and good stuff like that. And that was, you know, that was pretty awesome. Um, and so we spent four months, uh, in the basement, really just kind of feeling around in the dark. And trying to find where the edges of the problem were, what we could interface with, what we could use, you know, you know, cheap borrow lie steel, you know, and like build as little of it as you possibly can yourself. And we tried to figure out what all of that looked like. Right. Uh, by, you know, so this was in September. And then by the time we got to December, we had um, like it wasn't an MVP by any stretch of the imagination, but we had a prototype, right? We could kind of show people what we wanted to do. And it, and it was little more than a canvas that you could draw some lines on. Uh, but it was, you know, it was the early days of HTML5. It was, it was a, you know, going to be a very large JavaScript application, um, and and there weren't a lot of those. Like at that point in time, there was, you know, Gmail and Google Docs, right? And so, you know, and so, so trying to figure out how to build a large scale JavaScript application. Um, what year was this exactly? Or what so year? Yeah, that was 2010. That would have been December of 2010. December. Uh, okay. And then, and then in January, we got into uh, a startup accelerator program called Y Combinator. Um, and, and so we took some investment money from them and we moved down to Mountain View and we spent six months as a company in Mountain View. Okay, wait a minute. Um, all right, so, so, all right, so you just skipped over some interesting stuff there. So let's back up like a little bit. So you guys, you guys cobbled together a rough prototype, sort of vape, demoware, vaporware kind of thing. And and I guess you said you've been plugged into the whole YC Paul uh, Paul Graham thing from before. So did when you guys were starting to work on this, was it always in the back of your mind that the next when the applications for the next batch of YC starts, we're going for that? Was that or was it was it were you aiming for getting into an accelerator? So not at all, actually. Um, we were we assumed that this thing that we were building was going to take us a very long time. Um, we assumed that we needed to get a little bit of ground covered before doing something like YC made sense. And, and actually what happened, what happened was, um, Steve moved home, um, home to my parents' basement okay. in maybe October from San Francisco. Uh, about, about two weeks later, we got like three feet of snow. Uh, and about 24 hours after that, we were signed up for a Y Combinator interview. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. All right. So you got, he was like, this is not going to work for me long term. So, so, so I a little bit wonder if it wasn't just to get away from the snow and, you know, my parents' basement and all that good stuff, but, but I'm not, I have no problem with that. We all got our drivers. So, okay. So you guys see, so, so one, were you all talking about this or one of you just said, Hey, I, you know, we should do the YC thing. Was that a big deal? I mean, how did you, that whole process happen? So we, um, uh, so, so there's a little bit of backstory there, actually. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike and Steve had previously um, done a Y Combinator interview. They, they, they had tried once before. They, they ended up not getting in, but they, they had, they had actually been down and gone through the interview process and that whole thing. And, and, and there was, you know, there was a little bit of a shell shock thing there. They, they weren't totally sure they wanted to go 
through all of that again. Um, but but we um, we got some pushes from from our advisors and 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 early investors that kind of said, look, this is the right thing to do. Um, and we said, now we're too early. And they said, you're never too early. <laughs> well, yeah, well, now they say that you don't even have to have an idea. I mean, geez, you go in there and you just like throw your hands in the air and say, I want to do blah, blah, blah. And Paul Graham says, that's stupid. Do this idea. You're like, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> There's a little bit of that. Well, wait a minute. Okay, so you keep skipping over stuff. So you already had investors. I mean, you're not talking about your mom, right? Doing your laundry, therefore she's an investor. I mean, who were your investors and advisors when you're in mom's and dad's basement? So, and, and none of it was none of it was official. These were people that that later became investors and advisors, but people that we knew at that point in time. So, so um, uh, the most notable one is is a it's a YC alumni that Steve worked for. Um, you know, when he was down in San Francisco and, and he kind of gave us a push in the right direction. Who is that? A guy named Adam Smith. Okay. I don't know. I don't recognize the name. Does he have a, is he, did he have a well-known startup? Uh, yeah, he is, uh, one of the founders of a startup called Zobni. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that, or that's the, that's the inbox, right? That was trying to do like Gmail-ish kind of things in, in your, uh, Outlook. Uh, yeah, it was well. So it was it was trying to do kind of social features and and analytics type features in your in your Outlook inbox um, okay. before anybody like Gmail or Reporter or any of those guys started doing it. So they were they were kind of the first to do some of that stuff. Ah, uh, got it. Okay, okay. So that makes sense. So so okay. So you guys decided to go do the interview, and how did that go? Uh, it 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 went really great, actually. So so there was there was a lot of stress leading up to the interview. We. Uh, um, so we didn't actually find out we had the interview until, oh, maybe the day before Christmas. It might've been Christmas Eve, might've been two days before Christmas. Um, and this is for the class that starts in January, right? So this is like 10 days before the class starts. We, uh, we find out that we have an interview on maybe the day after boxing day. Um, so, you know, we frantically book a flight in the middle of chaos travel, um, we fly down to Mountain View, we, we do the interview and, and, you know, we found out right there, like the interview went great. Um, it, it's a bit of a blur. I don't, I don't really remember it, <laughs> um, but it, it was a bit of a blur. Um, but we got accepted, uh, right then and there and, and like class started four days later. <laughs> so did you stay down or did you have to fly back and get your stuff and fly again? Yeah. So we, we, we all flew back and then, and then came back down to Mountain View. So and place to stay that quickly? Were you just doing Airbnb or something? Uh, yep. Yeah. So, so there was a lot of Airbnb in January and then we got a, a really slummy townhouse in, in Mountain View across from, across from the White Commander building in uh, February and March. Um, and, then, and then I was couch surfing um, when, right. we were, when we were doing the fundraise after, after all of that. So the guys started heading back to Toronto in uh, April. Um, and then, oh, so you, they went back. You didn't decide to stay in 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 the in Silicon Valley area. No, no, that we're still in Toronto, like home base well, from still Toronto. So, okay, so yeah, what was I thinking on that? I, I would I would sort of assume that you know, I mean, it's one thing if like your alt, your your alternative was to go somewhere like you know New York or Boston or Chicago, but to go back to Canada and into sort of the middle of nowhere. I mean, that's a big change, especially if you're trying to raise money. If you could have relocated to Silicon Valley, or was this just sort of like uh, a immigration green card issue? So, so there was there was a little bit of it that was the immigration green card issue, but most of it was um, was a pretty spreadsheet decision. Uh, like we weren't we weren't a shiny, fancy consumer web startup, and we didn't have enough money to pay people, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that people get paid in Silicon Valley. Right. Um, 
and 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 they're like Toronto's a really big city. It's you know it's like an eight eight million people city. It's it's you know a little bit smaller than Chicago, uh, and there's a lot of really good tech there. Uh, the University of Waterloo's 100 kilometers away. The um, you know RIM was built there. There's you know not that that means much nowadays, but it did a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, there's a lot of you know like there's a lot of good talent there, and and not all of it wants to move down to Silicon Valley, and so so the people that we wanted to hire. Uh, and kind of the longevity of money and and some of the problems we got to avoid. And, and there's some really good, actually, government grant programs in Canada. The government helps us pay um, some of our technical costs, which is which is awesome. Um, but anyways, the sum of all of that just kind of added up to, you know, we should we should go to Toronto, do it there. Um, and then, you know, if, if our hand gets forced in the future, then we deal with it. Um, and, and actually, it's worked out really, really well. We hired... Um, we hired a bunch of people we couldn't have hired if we were down in Silicon Valley. We, we made it, you know, two and a half years on money that, that should have lasted us, you know, eight months in the Valley. So there's, you know, there's been a lot of really good that's come from it. And I, you know, I end up spending a lot of time in Silicon Valley because of that, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a bit of disruption for me, um, in exchange for having a really awesome team, uh, that we couldn't get anywhere else in the world for the, for the dollar value of that team. Um, so how, how, how close is Toronto from where you, you where, where your parents' place was? I mean, is this is it was that just like the outer suburbs of Toronto or something? Uh, no, it's about three hours. Like my my parents are legit in the middle of nowhere. Uh, oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, Toronto was it was in terms of uh, like we in terms of coming back to Canada and the people that we wanted to hire. Like really, the picks were. Uh, you know, Vancouver's too expensive. Montreal doesn't have enough technical talent. Like Waterloo and Toronto. And, are the only moderately urban centers where you could do it. Um, and, and we had done a lot of time in Waterloo. And so we, you know, we just, we wanted to live in Toronto really more than anything else. Right. Oh, that, yeah, I think that's good enough reason as any, I mean, you know, you, it's easier to stick with something if you're living in a place you really want to be. So that's yeah. probably another good reason. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot's made of, of, of the process of Y Combinator. And I'd, I'd just like to get your take on, it. I mean, like, First of all, you know what? How what? How did it work? I mean, did you get a lot out of it? Was it not such a big deal? And and how did your you know your meetings with Paul Graham go and, and things like that? Sure. Um, so, uh, like the I guess the, the the biggest thing I'll say is that it's not like like fun or summer camp or you know any of those words wouldn't be the words that I'd use to describe it. Um, like <laughs> transformative. Um, it, you know, it's amazing. It's, you know, it's, it's an incredible program, but you, like, you don't sleep much. You don't eat much. You, you're working 18, 20 hours a day. You, you know, you kind of feel like you're losing your mind. Um, you know, it's hard. It's really, really hard, but, but very, very valuable. Like it, it shaved a, a year off of our development as a company. Like we are, we are a, you know, we are a three and a half year old company, um, instead of a two and a half year old company be, because of going through YC. Um, so like, so, you know, hugely valuable. We're really glad we did it. We, you know, we have, we have no problems with the equity we gave up. Uh, the support has been wonderful. They continue to support us. I, you know, we were, I was actually just by there the other day. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. I, I really, really highly recommend it. Well, what did, um, were there any pivotal conversations where you thought you were going to do something or you had your priorities arranged a certain way and you went and you talked to Paul Graham and he just says, all right, all right that's actually a really bad idea. You need to do this or you really should focus on something and it just totally switched things around for you. Or were, or, were, or were you just kind of, 
did you guys just happen to intuit the right direction and he just confirmed and just sort of smooth, you know, just help guide you? Uh, yeah. So like a little bit on both sides. Um, so we, most of the really, I guess, transformational discussions um, happened with alumni and, and our peers and, and the other people who are going through Y Combinator at the same time as us. Um, mm-hmm. Advice from the YC partners was always really awesome, but it, it, it also lined up pretty good with what we were going to do anyways. Um, there, there was a lot of pressure from them to launch and, and a lot of good advice around fundraising and how to do that stuff, stuff that we hadn't done before. Um, mm-hmm. That was all really you know, valuable and brand new. Um, in terms of the product and our development as a company, they, you know, most of that was pretty in line with what we were trying to do anyways. Um, and the really pivotal stuff came from, you know, from alumni and other people in our batch and, and that kind of stuff. Um, all of that being said, there was, there was one really kind of transformation, transformative conversation we did have with Paul Graham. Um, we were going through some, uh, some co-founder disputes. Uh, you know, it was, it was the right point in time. We were, you know, we were six months in, money was tight. We were under the stress of YC, you know, looking back on it, it was kind of a perfect storm. Um, but, but we had a, a real heart to heart with PG, um, kind of all three of us. And, and he, in a lot of ways, he told us what we needed to hear. And, and it's the reason that I still have two co-founders instead of, you know, instead of less than that. <laughs> can, can you share with us any, anything so, without? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like I, I, I it's a, it, it, it's hard to explain without a whole lot of context, but, but what he said to us, and, and it was kind of a funny moment. So we were, we were in this, you know, heated conversation and we were talking about kind of all, all that is, is, you know, the wrong with our, our partnership at that point in time and all that kind of stuff. And we're going through this conversation and, 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 and Paul has kind of a moment and, uh, and he steps back for a second. He kind of has a moment and he like looks at all three of us and he looks very intently at me, looks very intently at Steve and looks very intently at Mike and, you know, looks very intently back at me and, and says, you know what, guys? And there's like this big pause, right? And our, our hearts are thumping and we don't know what's going on. Like this, you know, and like in, and, and you can kind of like hear the booming echo in, in, in the back of your head. And, and he says, you all have very different earlobes. <laughs> <laughs> and, what? <laughs> seriously, seriously. And, uh, and, and, and as funny as that may sound, as, as, as silly as that may sound, it, um, we kind of, kind of had this, this realization. I don't know if he meant to do it or not. I, I don't actually know, but it uh, kind of had this realization of how silly this whole conversation was and, and how, you know, and how we all have different earlobes and, and maybe we just need to deal with that. And, uh, that's great. That's like, he's sort of like the Zen, you know, or Buddhist master. And you go and ask this question. He just says, your lobes are different. You're like, okay, <laughs> that is the answer we were seeking. That is great. It was a lot of ways it was what we needed to hear and and it you know and and in in you know i i don't think we'd still be together if it wasn't for that conversation but but we're but still just yeah wow well that's uh, okay well i, I want to get into the founder thing in a second because i think it's interesting just three of you guys um what uh you know talks did you launch while you were in yc or um a demo day or, or how did that go we, we did not. Um, we uh, kind of suffered from the very beginning uh, with the curse of, of being superly, overly, hugely optimistic about how quickly we could build our product. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we didn't get it done in time. And, and we wanted to, and, and we had every, every expectation to. Um, and it, it actually it took us quite a while longer than that. It took us like another four months after leaving YC before we had something ready to launch. Um, and, and even then, when we did launch that product, it was probably a little early. 
it was probably still still too soon to have launched the product. Um, actually, in, you know, in, in hindsight, the product that we launched back in November of last year, um, like that was really the thing that we wanted. Like that was it. That was the thing that we were trying to do from day one. And it, it, it you know, it took us a little over two years and, and we, we thought it was going to take six months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I've never fallen in that trap before. Yeah, I don't even know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been we've all been there. It's uh, it's amazing. It's like however long you think it's going to take, double it and double it again. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um. So, you know that must have that, yeah I guess that must have worn on you quite a bit, right? Because that really increases the stress. You, you have nothing. Um. You keep thinking you're going to have something, and then you still have nothing. I mean, was that putting additional strain on on the on the partnership? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like it's you know it, it's a pretty stressful thing to begin with. But like, and we were all like, look, we were all new to this this level of stress. Like, I, I mean, I I'd run businesses before, but I'd never been through Y Combinator. I'd never I'd never built a product startup in the same kind of way before. You know, I'd never had to solicit funding. I'd, I'd never had co-founders. So like the sum of all of that, you know, plus the pressure cooker, it, like it was a lot. It was a lot. And then you know, and then you know. To add the bad to it, like we didn't really have a product, we didn't really have any users, we and we were still a long way away from that. And that's all. Like, that's all really scary. That's, that's really all of that is is really good reasons for a rational person <laughs> to give up. <laughs> right. But well, I, what kept you from giving up, or what kept your co-founders from giving up? We're we're probably wired a little bit funny, um, but but in ad- I guess in addition to that, it was you know what else were we going to do? Right. Like it was. This was this was what we wanted to do. This was the problem we wanted to solve. And like, so you give up and like go get a real job and a real like. I, we we just weren't really attracted to that. So you know, kept keep going as long as you can. Well, okay. So you you didn't launch till four months after Y Combinator. Did you have any additional investment um, after that? Because it sounds like you didn't have much money going into Y Combinator if you were living in your parents' basement. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so coming out of Y Combinator, we raised a small seed round. Oh, is that like the the, the Milner? Uh, you know, what was it? They give everybody one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar convertible. Yep, yep. So there was that. There was that plus um, plus that was you know the, there was some friends and family stuff. There was a little bit of angel stuff. We yeah, like we 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 did what most Y Combinator companies do and raised a little bit of money. Um, oh, after, piece together enough to survive and, and and keep working on it. Okay. That, yep. Okay, and um. Now, it's, it sounds like you've since raised more money, right? I mean, um, how far along after launching did it take before you were able to raise, I guess, what, like a, a formal uh, what, C round or A round or, or, or what? So we actually, we, we still haven't to date raised anything super formal. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, all been, it's all been a lot of, you know, angel type money. It's, it's, come in, it's come in waves and it's depended on, you know, when we need it and when people are offering it and, you know, a little bit of it's eat when they're serving food and a little bit of it's, you know, make progress on the product and, and, you know, and people get interested. Um, it's still not a lot of money to date though. Like we are, we're actually, um, um, gearing up sometime in the near future to, to do our first real formal fundraise and, uh, and kind of take the company to the next level. And that would be an actual a round I would imagine, right? Yeah, that's that's probably what it'll look like, though. Though I, I you know, like it, it's a it, it's a lot of hypotheticals right now. Yeah, and for people who aren't as familiar, an A round is usually what something in like the seven fifty to maybe one point five million area. It, so, so it depends 
on the company and it depends on kind of where you've come from. Um, it, it, valuations and, and, and amounts of money are a little bit higher nowadays. Like you, like you, you see averages in, in the like three to five range. Good. Uh, so wow. It's, you know, it's, it's a bigger chunk of money than that. But yep. Wow. That's changed even, I guess, from three or four years ago. That's pretty, uh, that's a lot. So, um, well, t- tell me a little bit about your launch or non-launch or, or unlaunch or whatever. I mean, you know, because there's, there's, there's the, you know, there's different theories on do you stay stealth or do you, first, first minute you come up with a vague idea, you put up a landing page, start collecting email addresses and, and buying AdWords to get some kind of an email list together. I mean, what was your sort of pre-launch and launch phase look yeah. like? that look like? So really, really ever since we've been able to have a product up on the website, there's been a product up on the website. So, so like we, you know, kind of the landing page collect email route, but, but like we've always had a presence online really since the very early days of Upverter. Um, that being said, we didn't do any press and we didn't do any announcements and we didn't attempt to spend money or anything like that to drive traffic at the website until, until we put that first version, um, until we we were ready to let's say announce the first version, it had been up there on the website already. It was just we came out and told the world, if that makes sense, that it was there. Uh, that was what four months after Y Combinator? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was about a, it was a year, uh, like it was a year after we started the company. So it was uh, in September of 2011. And was that now when you did a formal launch like that? I mean, did you was it kind of thing where you emailed? 50 or a hundred tech bloggers and, and, uh, you know, like tech crunch and things like that. Or, or how did you, how did you manage the launch? Yeah. So we went, we went the conference route. We, uh, we presented Upverter at a, at a conference in, uh, Santa Clara, uh, it's called the demo conference. It's put on by VentureBeat. Um, we were uh, we were offered a and 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 a little bit we didn't understand what the conference was and and, and how that all worked but we were offered a, a free spot to present at the conference and uh, uh, and some of our you know some of our costs were covered and so that was what we did and how did that work in terms of, I mean how many so how many signed up users did you get out of something like that yeah uh, so a couple thousand um, so we we got you know we got we got pretty good traffic. Uh, the conversion rate was really decent at that point in time, um, but but yeah, it, conversion from people coming and looking around the website, but in in actually creating an account. Yeah, pe- people showing up and and not being frustrated that we weren't pornography, and actually like being there for a good reason and saying, "Oh, okay, this is actually what I was looking for," <laughs> and signing. It's upverter, not perverter. Exactly. So. <laughs> um, but yes, we we you know so we we converted a pretty good percentage of the traffic we got, and uh, and we. You know, we signed up a couple thousand people, um, and then almost immediately afterwards, they all stopped using the product. <laughs> yeah, right. what's the the trove of sorrow or something like that? It's like the day after, or two okay. days after the tech crunch. It always happens, right? You always be this big rush. Something works. You always people. You think you're off to the races, and then it's but um bump. Yep. Yeah, and so we had that just kind of like every other startup, um, and uh, yeah, and so and and then that was the start of the grind, <laughs> and and you know, and we're you know, and we're still kind of in it a little bit, but but we you know, and so we ground and we ground and we ground, and for you know, a little more than a year to get our second product out the door, um, with the hopes of, of fixing a lot of the abandonment issues. So how how many users? did you pick up in that period of time? So you said you're in the, in the grinding period. I mean, were you picking up like 
20 users a day, 100 users a day? Do you have any just ballpark estimate of like what, 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 what your user accumulation look like? Yeah, so, so we, we went from a couple thousand users to, oh, I don't know, 4,000 maybe. So like we, we doubled in a year. Okay. Maybe. Something like that. Um, but it wasn't a lot, right? Like it was, you know, it was bursty whenever we got mentioned in the press and, and the organic rate of growth was really not that great. It, it is only very recently um, picked up. Uh, you know, it's only after this latest version we put out there that we actually have an organic rate of growth that's worth talking about. So, how did that happen? I mean, so you put up a new, how, how did you get growth? I mean, was it just the, pro, yeah, well, I'll let you, let you describe it. What, 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 how did that happen? So how do we have it now? Yeah, well, why do you have organic growth? I mean, was the new was a new version of the product just so much better than the previous version that people just started using it and telling other people, or did you figure out some ways of attracting it using different types of I don't know buying ads and content marketing or what? Yeah, so so um, so it, in terms of organic growth, so like I, I you have you have to. Ex- Use the uh, exclude the the paid stuff, um, but it's uh, it's figuring out our messaging. It's you know it's it's a volume of of content on our site. Like we have we have a content uh, factor to our site. People look for parts and look for designs and things like that. They find us through search engines. Um, and and also like and and most importantly, I think uh, having something useful. Like it was, you know, it just wasn't a useful product up until you know very recently. Um, and you know, like you know, I, I shouldn't say that it was it was useful for a very small audience of people. And and you know, as we continued to to add features, it became useful to a larger and larger audience of people. And and now we have a product that's useful to a very large audience of people. And and that's that's really the special part of it. Is like when we acquired a couple thousand users with our very simple schematic editor, like that might have been the total addressable market. <laughs> like, right. that everybody. Um, and, you know, and, and so, and now we've grown it to a pool that has millions and millions and millions of potential users. In it. So like oh, that, that matters. Can you, can you share how many users you have now? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we, we, we now have 8,500. Um, and, and, so, and, and most of that has been acquired in the last couple months. Right. So you have really good, uh, a really good growth, um, trajectory at this point. Are are you uh, do you have a revenue model yet, or are you uh, still working towards that? So we do, um, we do, and but but um, yes to both. Um, <laughs> so uh, right now we have a pay for privacy model. Um, people who, who want to use Upverter and and you know use the tools and use the platform, but don't necessarily want to share the the stuff that they're creating back with the rest of the world. Um, much like GitHub can pay to do work privately. They, you know, they get to take advantage of all of the benefits of the community and the benefits of the tools, um, and they don't have to share back the things that they create. Um, and so that's one source of revenue for us. Uh, we also make money off of manufacturing. So when people order circuit boards, we, we take a small cut of that. Okay. Uh, and, and we have a, it, so, and that, that's part of a greater paper use theme, which is you pay to use manufacturing. Um, we have some customers who do very large scale simulations with our simulator and they pay to use the simulator. So they pay by the hour. Most users don't rack up enough simulation that that matters, but we have, we have some semiconductor users that do, that do large amounts of simulation and they pay by the hour. Now, are you guys anywhere near break even yet? No, no, nowhere near. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any idea how long that'll be? Do you feel like you're six months or a year off or is it just sort of too gray to speculate? 
So if, if things continue at the rate that they're going right now, it's, it's actually only a couple of months, but, um, but we'll see. Oh, that is fantastic. Um, wow. Okay. Um, let me see if I got um, sure. Right. Yeah. I want to ask you about, um, your, uh, the the founder issue because I think it's really interesting and it's something we've talked about on the show a bit about having founders that are complementary versus sort of having founders with overlapping skill sets and and, and um, things like there's like you know Paul Graham the Y Combinator uh, sort of theory is that you you really want to have multiple co-founders or multiple founders so two or three people before is too many one is too few. Um, for a variety of reasons, being there's just a lot to get done and you need the moral support of right. other people, um, things like that. And it's easier to get investing when you have more than one person. But um, so I want to ask you about your, you know, how you, how you guys have worked it out as three separate people with your own, you know, everybody has their own way of seeing the world and what they want to really do. And they have different skill sets. Like what is it that you actually can do for the the venture? I mean, it's like just because you know, all three of you say can write code doesn't mean all three should be writing code. Someone needs to be doing something else. I mean, how did you, first of all, what are your different skill sets and how do you sort out who does what? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so we are, um, we are pretty overlapping actually in, in terms of co-founders We're we're all three very technical people. Like we had all spent most of our careers up until that point as, as engineers, as builders, as, as the technical, um, you know, tool in a team. Uh, I, uh, am the least technically talented of the three of us. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, Steve is, is brilliant at architectural type stuff. Um, and, and Mikey is uh, he's very utility wrench. He, he, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a wonderful developer. He's a good architect. He's also a pretty good person, a people person and a manager. And so like, he kind of, you know, he's like our utility wrench and, and Steve's are like really kind of savant, you know, technical guy. Um, and, and I'm the guy that can't do anything else. So, so I do it. Um, <laughs> this guy by default. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But no, it's, so, so it's also, it, it's, it's stuff that I've, I've, I've kind of grown accustomed to and I've, 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 you know, I've, I've gotten better at it certainly since, since I started doing it, but it's, uh, um, but yeah, it was, uh, um, you know, it was a bit of a learning curve for me and it was, it was mostly an optimization so that the people who were best at the things that they you know were best at would focus on that. Right. Now, was there much contention um, getting to that point where people thought they were going to be doing one thing and it turns out they were, they, they were, it, that the venture needed them to, the company needed them to do something else and it was an adjustment phase or did everybody just kind of naturally fall into doing, doing those particular things? So, so really, really early on, uh, we all wanted to do everything. And it was, and you know, and it was, it was awkward, <laughs> right, for a lot of reasons because of that. Um, you know, and 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 it was, you know, it was it was Mike and Steve's first company, and it was my first company with co-founders, and it was all of our first um, product company, and like you know, so like it was a lot of new. It was a lot of really foreign territory for all of us, and we didn't really, like, we didn't really know how to handle any of that, and and we didn't know what was important, and. You know, and 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 we really aligned very well about the fact that all of us should be building software and try to forget everything else and put everything else off for as long as we can. And we did a good job of that. We, um, you know, it was it was really four months, four to six months into the business before we really started doing anything that wasn't technical, that wasn't building. Um, but uh, but yeah, so like you know, we all wanted to do everything. Um, 
And, and as, you know, as time went on, we kind of began to fall into our roles. I, I started doing um, a lot of the interaction stuff and the customer interviews and, and that kind of stuff. And that, that eventually grew into me doing what I do. Uh, Steve had, had a real passion for the architecture that went in, you know, top further and, and, and he kind of grew into what he does. Um, you know, and, and, and Mikey kind of was the glue between all the cracks, right? He was the guy that helped me when I needed help and helped Steve when he needed help. And the rest of the time he just built. Um, and so it kind of, it kind of all worked out. Right. No, no, that's, that's great. That's great. So speaking, now that we're talking about technology, I mean, what, uh, why don't you, uh, just, if you could just walk us through the, um, your technology stack. I mean, what, what, what do you use in the back end and front end and, 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 and if there's been an evolution, maybe Talk a little bit about that. In terms of um, our tech stack, we're built on yeah. top of Google Closure, uh, and and that's a so it's a JavaScript library. It's a a, a linter and a compiler um, and a templating engine, and so so we actually use all four of those facets. It's the same tech that Google uses to build Gmail and Google Docs and and those tools. Um, but anyway, so so on the client side, we're built on top of that. We use WebSockets. Um, we used to use XHR. Uh, long polling to do all of our communication, um, and and in terms of actually how we've we've built that application, it's it's built as an operational transforms um, canvas uh, rendering engine plus a, an action manager um, plus some tools in the UI that we use to to capture actions, um, generate actions, and then play them back locally. And so so all of that it's like a hundred thousand lines of JavaScript that we compile down, and that's actually like the editing environment that users interact with. Um, Very cool. On the server side, we we have kind of a mirror image. Uh, we have what we call a design server, and and it's it's a coordinator for some of the collaboration, and it it talks again through WebSockets or XHR long polling to the JavaScript client, um, and it keeps everybody in sync. It, it it's how it's how we're able to do you know a hundred people editing the same schematic at the same time. Um, wow, that's very cool. That must have been quite a challenge to get that working right. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's probably one of the one of the hardest problems we have solved is just doing. So it's it's graph based editing too. So it's like you can't do any of the fun stuff that Git does with linear based text editing. You have to you have to think about version control in a very different way. And so it's an action stream of graph editing, and we do operational transforms on top of that to make it possible to have a whole bunch of people edit the same document at the same time. Um, right. And uh, and and so. Uh, there's kind of a, another half to all of that, which is our API server, and it's built on top of Flask. Um, and, and Flask is, if you know, if you know the Ruby world, it's kind of like Sinatra. It's like a slim down version of Django. Um, and so we we use Flask, um, we use G Event, uh, we use Zero MQ to do our messaging. Uh, we have a, a whole set of background workers which which monitor the database and do things like forking and and component usage and image rendering and that kind of stuff. Uh, we use uh, a little bit of Node.js to run a copy of the client in the cloud, um, and that allows us to do interesting things like save canvases. Um, and then, and behind all of it, at the the very highest level, is our, our data store. We use a, a key value store called Kyoto Tycoon. Wow, that's the first person I've heard who's used that. I've, I've, I've now this is not now this is not the same as Tokyo. Was it a cabinet? Tokyo, it's Tokyo cabinet, right? It's so it's a it's an extension on top of uh, Tokyo cabinet. Right. So I've, I I remember it, when the first NoSQL databases were sort of being talked about a couple of years ago. Um, Tokyo Cabinet was one of the 
leaders and and but I haven't heard about them as much lately. Why, why did you guys happen to choose, or how did you happen to choose Tokyo Cabinet over, I don't know, Couch, Mongo, and some of the other you know more well known NoSQL data stores? Yeah. Uh, so so kind of the answer to the question is is how you want to interact with the key value store. So um, if you think about like the sim the simplest of key value stores, you something like Redis comes to mind, which is just super simple, store a key, retrieve a key, that's it. Uh, it has it has terrible persistence qualities. It all runs in memory. You know, it is is blazingly fast, but it's just a key value store. Oh, you oh, did you say Redis? You mean Redis or Redis? Redis. is that what you're? Okay. I'm not sure how you say it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, maybe I'm saying it wrong. Okay, Redis, Redis. Okay, yeah, got it. Okay, so super super simple key value data store. Um, and, and at kind of the the polar opposite other end of the key value store space is like a MongoDB or something like that, where where you know you have persistence you have sharding you have you know it, it it handles a cluster for you it does all of your search and and tagging and like it does everything for you right it's kind of like the you know like it's the bentley of key value stores versus the you know the the skateboard of key value stores right right <laughs> um and and kyoto tycoon is kind of in the middle so uh, it has it has it's very very fast it's very very raw and it has wonderful persistence um qualities but it doesn't do anything for free. So like we build our own search indexes, we do our own tagging. We, you know, we, we have to have these background workers which which scrub and and maintain and and go over the database because we're not using something like Mongo that would do it itself. Uh, you know, when we shard the database, we're going to have to do all that by hand. Um, you know, it's not going to come for free. Um, but the reason we did that is we have we have a very intimate understanding of our our data and it doesn't look much like other people's data. Uh, you know, it doesn't fit well in the SQL database. Um, we want to, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a use case example, but, uh, when a user in Upverter, uh, uses a part, their relationship with that part changes very much in like a Google plus social search kind of way. Um, but it's, it's, it's actually deeper than that. If, if somebody you follow uses a part, your relationship to that part that they used changes and to do all of that indexing and tagging and scoring and ranking of parts and search results if we tried to do something like that in mongo we'd have terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data that we'd have to somehow try to keep in memory and it would be quite slow um whereas we can hand roll that um in kyoto and and you know and we would use redis if we could it just doesn't have the persistence qualities that we need so like we need to know when our database goes down and we need to know where it failed and so that's why we use kyoto did you try uh, and use like MySQL or Postgres to start, and then migrate to NoSQL, or did you start? Did you use or, or Tokyo or what was it called? Um, I can't remember the name. What, what's it called? The the data store you use? Yeah, the Tycoon. Yeah, yeah. Do you use that? Did you start with that right out of the gate? We did not. Uh, we we actually we started with uh, Redis, um, and then we uh, migrated to MySQL. Um, okay. Uh, with a wrapper, so so we treated MySQL as a key value store, and the reason we did that is because we needed better persistence than Redis had, but we weren't ready to switch to a different um, database, and we did have some uh, relational data that we were storing in a SQL database alongside Redis. Right. So we consolidated all of that down into a MySQL database, and we ran on that for about a year, um, and it was it was really inefficient, and you know, treating MySQL as a key value store is kind of crazy, but. Um, it had it, it did great things for our DevOps, and it did great things for just our ease of development, our speed of development. And then, as soon as we started to hit in hit the, the data ceilings and 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 some of these efficiency problems, and as as our usage increased, we actually had to solve the problem. And, and the plan was always to go back to a key value store, 
Um, and so the software had been architected like that. And we, it actually took, uh, it took about a week. Um, and we pulled MySQL out and we dropped uh, KT in and we were, we were good to go after that. Cool. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, uh, I'd never heard anyone talk about uh, that particular data store. So, um, uh, interesting. So, uh, one thing I want to ask you about um, is your market. So, is would you describe your market as professional, prosumer, you know, are there, are there sort of like at the consumer or non-pro users, you, you know, educational market? I mean, wh- wh- where, wh- where do you see your sweet spot? Oh, yeah, yeah sure, sure. So like, um, the market that we play in, uh, I, I like to draw it as a pyramid. Um, so at the very, very top, you have these guys that doesn't, you know, like they, they work at Intel and they design scary processors and like they're deep, 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 deep down. Right. Um, and then at the very bottom of the pyramid where it's widest, um, uh, you have, you know, the academics and the guys who are just learning how to start electronics and, you know, and the Arduino enthusiasts and the Raspberry Pi enthusiasts and like those kind of guys. And so as you go up that pyramid, you need more features. You need, you need to be able to do harder, more complex things. Um, but the market always get, it also gets smaller, right? The market for every feature, um, becomes less small because not everybody needs those complex features. So in terms of where we are, we're, we're about halfway up the pyramid. So we're not, you know, we're not all the way to the top of it yet. You can't do everything in Upverter. Um, you know, we still have a bit of ground to cover. Um, but we do cover because it's, you know, because it's a triangle, because it's a pyramid, we, we do cover a very large percentage of the market with our, you know, our less complete uh, feature set. Um, and so, you know, so, so we, we do really well in education right now. We do really well in hobbyists right now. Um, and we, we're seeing a big um, growth, actually, in the number of professional. But, but think of them as, as on the simpler side of professional designs, um, a huge growth in the people who do professional designs, but, but not, not super, super complicated ones. So this is like the electronics that go into your microwave or your water heater. Um, you know, or, or that kind of level of complexity, um, you know, simple sensor circuits. Uh, and, and so we, you know, that's kind of where our sweet spot is right now. So, you know, you know I would think I, I, you know, I think this is probably a self-serving question, but I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> so I, I am very interested in learning more about electronics and able to design um, circuits. And, and, you know, I've been, trying to learn it. I've bought a couple books and I've just noticed that the educational material out there and the books kind of suck. And <laughs> it's, there isn't anything like a code Academy for electronics, or hardware design. And I was wondering if you guys had any plans of, of offering something similar to that to sort of almost grow your audience, because it seems like there's a very large potential audience. I mean, you think of how many people have ordered Arduinos and Raspberry Pis, and this just and that's just been a relatively new movement. Um, it would seem that if you guys built in sort of an educational component that could take people from the simple stuff like Ohm's Law up to developing progressively more complex circuits, kind of like a Code Academy, that you might be able to sort of you know dramatically increase your your uh, your addressable market. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, so so we, that's as much a request that it is, is a uh, suggestion, like please <laughs> something. Cause that just seems like it would be so great if you had like a series of tutorials and like, okay, 
you know, here's how you design this very simple circuit. And this is how you simulate it. And okay, now try and do this other thing. And, and it would just seem like it would could roll right into people being heavier and heavier users of right. inverter. Right. And, and so we've, we've, we've made two steps towards that. We, we have some, um, we call it earn but we have some learn content on Upverter that, that tries to take people who have a background in electronics and teach them how to apply that to building hardware. Um, okay. And so, so we, we've, we've started some of those projects. We're, um, we're doing a lot of hackathons these days, and, and that learn content is really important for getting people kind of in the right mind frame to, to complete a hackathon and actually design some hardware in the time that they have. Um, and the other thing that we're working on uh, is a site called Electronic Academy. Um, which, which is a little bit like your code academy, right? That's great. So, what's what's the story with that? Uh, so, so uh, yeah, so so it's it's still in development, um, but it does exist as a product. It it just hasn't gone live yet. Um, but the idea is very much like Code Academy. You come in, and there are you know there are modules, and there are lessons within those modules, and you work through you know a dozen or half a dozen modules. Um, and you come out the other side having designed, you know, an Arduino or a Raspberry Pi or a Shield or something like that, which which then using the rest of Upverter you can actually get fabricated. Um, but it's yeah, it's 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 based on uh, it's based on the Upverter editor, and and we walk you through kind of a tutorial of how to how to build hardware and and you know how how the physics behind it all works uh, when you actually get down to the nuts and bolts of putting stuff together. That is fantastic. I mean. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'd be really excited to to try that myself, and uh, I'd be curious to find out. Like, so what level does it start you at? I mean, does it start with people who where you have to explain what a resistor and a capacitor is, or is it assuming that you kind of know all that and it's at the, it's sort of at a higher level? So it's level. Yeah, we we've tried to do it. Um, not not to not to say the word code academy too many times, but we <laughs> we've tried to do it a little bit like they did, where we don't necessarily. We don't necessarily bludgeon you over the head and say, like, you know, this is a resistor. Now you have to learn Ohm's law. You know, whack. Right. Um, <laughs> we try to we try to be much more organic about it. So like you kind of come in and it's like, okay, well, so here, you know, here's what you have, and you know, now print your name, right? But the equivalent of your name in uh, you know, in, in a circuit and and kind of you know walk people through the baby steps of of actually putting a circuit together, but without without beating the, you know, the the educational or science or physics side of it into them. So how, how soon before that gets rolled out or is it some kind of beta? Uh, so, so it's, it, you know, it's still an alpha testing. Um, it's still early. I, I, you know, I can't give you a good estimate. Like it could be another couple of months though. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's still an active development. Oh, come on. <laughs> Don't make me wait that long. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that sounds just really exciting. That's really cool. Um, and I would love to to try it out as soon as you're um, allowing sort of uh, non insiders play with it. Um, cool. That's uh, that's really cool because I think it's badly needed. I mean, I I can't tell you how many books I've bought on it, and it's just like you know you expect to read 500 pages, you know, and it goes through all stuff. It doesn't really explain that much, and it just I don't know. It, it's just I I feel like it's just most of the stuff is just really bad. And so, so it's either you're you're sort of stuck in this world of like hobbyist electronics where they never you don't really understand how to really use the primitives. So like for like the equivalent of for loops and if then statements and functions to build something, it's like, well, here's something that works. Just kind of go and build it like it's a model plane or something, um, which I don't really see much the point of that. And then there's, but then there's like, on the other side, there's like, well, here are your textbooks for your electrical engineer, which is in here. You, by the way, you need to know differential equations and all this other stuff to even be able to get started on it. And it doesn't seem like there's anything that sort of hits that spot in between. It's like, okay, 
you know, we'll, we'll start you early, but then we'll take you up so you can actually use the primitives and actually be creative and build something that somebody else hasn't already built for you. Right. Yep. And so, yeah. And, and, and really I like, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about it because it is still an in, in development type product, but, but one of the inspirations we had um, for doing it was like, how do you, how do you fork somebody else's design and make a small change to it? Right. So it's giving people those little nuggets of knowledge they need to be able to go in and say, okay, I want to make this change. And I feel empowered to actually know that if I do this and this, it'll, it'll do what I want it to do. So it's, 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 you know, it's a little bit of the fundamentals, but it's also very tactical. It's very like, get in there and make a small change. Super cool. That is, that is just, that is so cool. Um, okay. Well, I want to ask you, I, I, I think I have like about one more uh, question for you, which is you're, you're talking about hackathons um, for hardware. Um, what, what have you done or what are you doing in that, in that area? Yeah. So, so we've done three big ones um, so far. Um, but it, it's a, you know, it, it's a, it's a user adoption. It's a get people evaluating the product and it's a, you know, and, and it's kind of a bit of a PR bait thing, but, uh, but what we do is we get, you know, a hundred or so hackers together in a space. Um, and much like a software hackathon, we take a, you know, a whiteboard full of ideas and, and then design them. Um, except instead of using APIs and open source software and that kind of stuff, we're, we're using hardware. Um, we're designing real stuff that can get manufactured and normally the giveaway is whoever's hosting the hackathon. Um, and we, we power most of them with our tools, but whoever's hosting the hackathon usually um, gives away manufacturing. So at the end of the hackathon, they'll get whatever it is you designed manufactured, um, which is kind of fun, right? You get to go, you spend the weekend hacking, and then a couple of days later in the mail, you get this thing that you designed, um, and you can plug it in and it'll blow up, or you know maybe it'll work. Um, <laughs> but yeah. but it's, you know it, it's real. It makes it kind of real. But anyways, yeah, so... Uh, so we've done, you know, we've done three of them um, with varying degrees of success. The the earlier ones, we learned a lot about the tools. The later ones, the hackers were really successful. Uh, you know, we're starting to hit a real critical mass where we could throw one a week and and it would be successful for us and successful for the hackers. Um, but yeah, that's what we do. So it's 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 really just empowering people and then giving them a safe place to learn how to do hardware. Are, are you only doing them in Toronto, or are these sort of like traveling hackathons where you'll do them in different cities? So we've been doing them in different cities. Um, so, so actually, uh, one of the reasons I'm down in California right now is last week we were doing a hackathon at, at uh, there's a, a foundation called the Open Compute Project, and they design open data centers. And we did a open data center hackathon with them uh, last week. So we were designing data center hardware um, in Upverter. Um, and we had uh, about 70 people participate in the hack, and we had seven really cool projects come out the other side. Where, where was that? Where in California? Uh, Santa Clara. Do you have any uh, plans of coming down to LA? That's where we live, by the way. Uh, uh, so, so no, no plans on a hackathon yet in LA. Uh, but, but like, we'd love to do one. Um, if, if, yeah, like, really, if anybody, if you guys or if anybody else is interested in, in, you know, in helping us set one up, we'd, we'd be more than happy to bring a hackathon to LA. I would, I would, I, and I definitely could. Uh, I think I could help you uh, set one up down here. So. I'd like to talk to you about that off- offline because I think that would be really cool. I mean, there's a huge tech uh, um, market and audience um, down here. Obviously, I LA is a massive city, but um, yeah, there, I think there'd be a lot of interest. What about for kids? What about like a hackathon for you know, high schoolers, middle schoolers doing electronics? I mean, it sure. seems to me this kind of stuff, just like coding, you could teach to 12, 13, 15, 16-year-olds and not necessarily, ha- they don't necessarily have to be adults. Right. Yeah. So, so the big, the big problem with hardware, much like teaching software, is is until until you actually push print on it, it's very abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so software has the benefit of you can compile it and run it and, and it'll do what you expect it to do. And you get those like little nuggets of positive feedback. In hardware, we try to do that through simulation, but it is, it is still a little bit more abstract. So like we would love to do it. Um, I, I think it would go fine with a high school age group of people. Like that would work just as well as it would with adults. Um, middle school and below, I'm not sure. We've never done it before. Um, we have had some young hackers participate in our hackathons, like some, you know, some kids that are 12 or 14. Um, but but not a lot, and and you know, and the ones that did uh, participate were quite exceptional. So, right. so un- unknown. <laughs> yeah, to be really honest, uh, we would love to do it. We, like we'd love to get more kids started at an early age doing hardware. Like that'd be that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, with the tool that you guys have, and the fact that you cover all the bases, and from from schematic layout to simulation to piece, you know, the the, the laying out of the boards to manufacture. I mean, you know, one stop shop. So, um, if you had an educational component kind of built in, I mean, it would seem like it would it would be sort of a no brainer to getting um, the attention of all of these schools and districts that are really pushing STEM education, which is the science, technology, engineering, and math. I mean, everywhere you go, it's STEM, STEM, STEM. That's everyone's, at least in the U.S. Right. There's yep. so much, uh, there's so much um, just sort of political um, emphasis on it and, and, and um, money behind it, and it would just seem like that might be a wave that you guys might be able to catch uh, with up here. Cool. Yeah. And, 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 and you're probably right. And, and really all that needs is us to, to spend a bunch more time thinking about, thinking about how we build better, better education tools. Not that you don't already have enough to do. <laughs> I'm just, uh, and I apologize. This is sort of our unsolicited, unsolicited advice segment of the show. So I, I, uh, I apologize for, uh, if I'm coming across as all pushy, I'm just very enthusiastic about what you guys are doing and, and, and the potential for yeah, it. No worries. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Zach, I, I've kept you on for a long time, and, and um, I really appreciate you sharing your story in so much detail. Um, and uh, it's just it's really exciting. And um, I think you know when you look at the kind of things that are being done in technology and the tools. I mean, you hear this complaining about oh, there's no innovation happening. I mean, that's crap. I mean, things like Upverter are I, I think have the potential to be kind of game changers. Oh, well, th- well, thank you. Thank you. We, we do too. And it's always, <laughs> it's always kind of fun to hear somebody else say it, but it, but it's, it's totally my pleasure. I, you know, I, I've had fun coming on and chatting with you guys. My pleasure. Well, it's been great. And, uh, I wish you guys the best of luck and, uh, we'll hopefully, uh, stay in touch. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, thanks again. All right. That's a wrap. Yeah.